Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Daily Zoom call. My name is Ryan Wilk. Uh, I'm a partner here at Ready and Newman. I'm going to be stepping in for Rahul today. Um, Shruti, do we have our first caller? Yes. Kaja? Uh, oh, yeah. Hello. Hey, hi. Uh, so, hello. Uh, I have a question regarding the uh, the perm labor certification. So, I currently work for uh, end client and uh, they're going to start my perm in the month of March next year. And I also want to pl- planning to file a concurrent H1, but uh, based on this decision, I want to do it. So as part of the work history, when we file a perm, if we, if you are also working on a concurrent H1, do we need to disclose that during the perm process saying that uh, we have a history of uh, work during that process? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I understand where your question comes from. And my answer would be that, yeah, you should list it. Uh, the perm form is pretty clear list, uh, all the experience you've had in the last three years outside of that mm-hmm. three year window. Maybe I would say, don't worry about the other concurrent employment, especially if you're not going to try to utilize that for experience purposes. But if mm-hmm. it's just in terms of, uh, in the last three years, I would say list every job, uh, or at least every employer that you've had. And so if you're oh. doing concurrent, I would say, uh, yeah, list it out. Uh, okay, that that would be a problem at that time. They would come to know, like the main employer will come to know that I'm already on the concurrent. So it's 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 that's only area where they'll come to know, right? Obviously, in that case, then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's better to avoid if that's the case, right? I would say. Yeah, the issue the issue could be, and I, it's a small issue, but I mean, I I would advise you 100% to do it. If you don't do it, the issue is that the government could say that you committed misrepresentation at the perm stage which it's the same thing as fraud in the government's eye. And so to avoid that, maybe you bite the bitter pill, lift it, let the other company know that you were doing concurrent employment because the the consequence, and it's a small consequence, but the consequence is a finding of misrepresentation, which is a big problem. So to avoid that, maybe you, you address the small problem, tell the other employer, or at least let the other employer know. And um, in doing so, you'll, you'll list out your, your experience over the last couple of years. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So let's say if I file a concurrent H1, but I never worked for them, will this still be like a problem for... If you never worked for them, then I would say no, it's not. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Uh, That's it. Thanks, Kaja. Hi. uh, Thanks for taking my call, Ryan. Uh, This is for... uh, I haven't got my H1B approval. I just got receipt notice. And I am trying to make a visa appointment. So during appointment process, it's asking for a start date and end date, which I don't have yet. So can I give a tentative date or 
I'll, yeah, I'll give the tentative one. When your company filed it, they would have put like an ideal start date and an end date. And so mm -hmm. I would just say put that. It's be consistent with what's in, you know, what, what's already been said before. And you shouldn't have any issues. Okay, whatever they have submitted. Sure. Yeah, and because ultimately when you get it approved, the H-1B, the dates are going to be more or less what the company asked for. And that's just going to reflect into your DS-260. And so if you can say what's already been said before, I don't think you're going to run into any issues. All right, uh, Srikant, sir? Yes. Uh, hey, hey, Ryan. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my uh, answering my question. So last year I filed my 485 and got the EAD and AP. So I was actually working on uh, H1B status. Um, so, but then uh, this year, Jan 23, I traveled outside US and re-entered using my advanced parole document. So while re-entering, uh, the CBP officer actually updated my I-94, uh, updated till this December 2023. So right mm -hmm. now I'm actually using my EAD, which has expiration date till next year, December 2024. So my question is, like you know after expiring my current i-94 is there any legal issue working under the i-485 ead oh no not at all um one question i want to ask is on your i-94 did they put your code of admission as da and that, that means yes that's AP? right yeah that's okay, right okay yeah. yeah this is a weird why the government built the system in this way because we get then ultimately we get questions like this but no you you shouldn't have any problems as long as your 485 is pending you're fine yeah. to stay in the country even well past that i-94 expiration date and then as long as your ead is approved as long as the ap is approved you can work and travel at your leisure and so as long as you have those three things pending 485 approved AP, approved EAD, you're good. And then maybe uh, you file for the extension and you still haven't got it back by the time, you know, the documents expire, meaning the EAD and the AP. You can still keep working with the extension receipt on the EAD, but I would say don't travel until you get the next AP approved. Just don't travel. Don't try to come back in with an expired yeah. AP, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have a subsequent question related to this. Actually, my that's for my spouse. So she was into H4 and she was working on H4 EAD. And the moment she got the I-485 EAD, she's using that I-485 EAD. But she didn't use the advanced parole document. But the problem okay. is that uh, the advanced parole, when they issued it, the expiration date is not, not in line with the EAD expiration date. Her EAD is expiring mm -hmm. next year, December, but the advanced parole is expiring this November 2023. So now the question is that um, she doesn't have any problem, right? Like using the EAD. No. Okay. All no, right. not at all. Not at all. Um, it happened like 18 months ago, maybe two years ago or so. And the trend continued for a little bit of time where they were splitting out the EAD and the yeah. AP. And so there are a lot of folks in, in your background situation where the dates just aren't matching up. Um, and so what I would say is, yeah, absolutely. She's fine to work on the EAD, but then as soon as she can file the AP extension, just so that you have one in hand so that you guys can travel, you know, when you want okay. to. Okay. So the problem is what I see is that when the USCIS website, when I am trying to collect the documents for renewing the EAD, there is a document listed that uh, prior I-94. But in my scenario, the I-94 is already expired, right? Is it an issue? Yeah, like it's not a mandatory list. That's just kind of a an illustrative list, and it doesn't mean that it hits every okay, case okay. perfectly. And okay. so sometimes they're just things that are missed out like that. But I would say just give the most recent I-94, and it could be well-expired, right? Like that's with what we're okay. talking about. That's not an issue. 
Uh, other places it can be an issue, but for what we're talking about, no. But just give the most recent I-94, go onto their website, print it out, put it in the case packet and, and be done. Okay. 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 Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Sure, sure thing. Thank you. Pradeep? Oh, hi, Ryan. Good morning. How are you, sir? Uh, so, good morning. Uh, so I'm, I'm good. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Ryan, I have a couple of questions. So if I, if I'm working for company A right now, and if I get a concurrent B from company B, and if they are, if company B is try, uh, planning to file my permit I-140, will it be a problem at any point of time working with company A? Uh, no, but there's one small bit of caution that I would give. Um, yeah. and, and it's probably something that you don't need to worry about. But um, let's say you're with company A full-time and you're maybe less than full-time with company B. Company B can still do a perm and they can still do an I-140 for you. The only concern that the government's going to have in this whole picture is does company B have the ability to pay your perm wage? So they're going to go out and they're going to do a perm and that's going to set a wage. Uh, let's say it's 90K, 100K, 120K, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Can the company show that they can pay that? Does it mean that they are paying it, that they have paid it, or even that they will pay it? It just means can yeah. they show that they have the ability to? And so if you're on part-time payroll, it's not going to probably be an issue. Even if you're not on payroll at all, it probably shouldn't be an issue. What we need to do or, or what you or the attorney needs to do is look at the company B's tax returns. And as long as they have income or assets greater than your wage, there's no issues, uh, absolutely no issues whatsoever. And so will this cause an issue? I would say no, but just have that small concern in the back of your head. The company does still have to show uh, the ability to pay the perm wage. And that's usually not an issue. It's, I mean, I've been doing this for close to 15 years and I can probably only think of a handful of times where a company didn't have that ability to pay issue. So by and large, it's really nothing to worry about, but we do in our head have to recognize that it is something that we have to address but generally, in reality, it's nothing that's going to ever prevent you from the approval. Got it. And uh, if I leave company A and confi confine to company B at later point of time, should I should company B amend the petition to show my employment as full-time and primary H-1B again? You're speaking about amending the H-1B? H-1B, concurrent H-1B with company B? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say to, to however you want to call it, a transfer, an amendment... Whatever the case may be, yeah, you would want to get that H-1B under company B's house uh, because right now company A is the primary. And so to be primary for company B, they need to uh, put that put that H-1B under their own hat. Got it. And one last question, Ryan. So if my brother, if I work for my brother's company who is on GC, uh, would that be fine? Uh uh, for the H-1B, it should be fine. Uh, if If that company wants to do a perm, I would say it's a pretty good audit trigger uh, to have a familial relationship with the owner. That doesn't mean that the government will deny the I-140 maybe through your brother's company. H-1B is fine. Um, perm, it should be fine. But it, I would say if you're going to bet or if you're a betting man, bet that you'll get an audit. You can always get around the audits. Audits aren't anything to really concern yourself with, but it's likely going to happen if, if it is your brother's company. Got it. And Ryan, in, in the recent uh, changes that we are seeing about the employer-employee relationship uh, with the new changes, do you think uh, we can have our own company uh, uh, and work for that company as a H-1B employee? That seems to be the direct... Now, now these rules are all proposed and yeah. and over the next 
six months or so, we'll probably see a little bit different rule across the board. All these little rules that they've proposed, they'll be a little bit different, I think, than what they've originally proposed them. But as it stands now, yeah, you could you could start your own company and, and sponsor your own H one B. That seems to be a, that's our reading at least right now. We'll have to wait and see what does come down the pipe. But for now, yeah, that, I think that's uh, something that you can work for. You know, in the future, don't do anything now. Wait till that final rule comes out, and then you can make your you can your choice. Yep. Thank you very much, Ryan. That's what I had. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. Daryl. Uh, hi. Good morning, Ryan. Um, I uh, hope you're doing well. Uh, I'm well. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, I had a few questions. Um, I recently moved from Chicago to Austin and also done the change of address. Uh, but now it seems USCIS and the green card employment-based interview notice just for my wife um, and in Chicago office. So actually, and we did not get the physical copy. I had to call the customer service and they emailed the interview notice. Uh, my son is also included in the petition, but his status says interview is scheduled, but he also did not receive the actual notice. Um, it looks like they did not schedule the interview as per the customer service representative. Uh, should I also go for the interview with my wife along with taking the son also? Uh, uh, let me ask a background question and then we'll hop into what, yeah. what you're specific okay. asking. Is Are you the principal or is your wife the principal on these cases? Yeah, I'm the principal. Okay. Yeah, we're seeing some funny things uh, with interviews right now, like double interviews issued, um, families having interviews split out. We can't really find the method to the madness right now. I think it's just some hiccups in USCIS's system. And so... I would say attend with your wife. They might not okay. let you in, honestly, but it's you could at least effort it, right? And and that's yeah. the, the best I could say is that worst happens is they just say, hey, we, we can't let you in. And they'll interview your wife and, and they'll probably take your wife back and say, oh, you're the dependent. Why why isn't your husband here? Uh, we're going to need to interview him first. And then you're, you're going to think, you know, what is this circular dance that I'm doing? Um, and kind yeah. of curse USCS under your breath. And so this is abnormally yeah. normal or okay. normally abnormal sure. however way you want to yeah. put it um go to the interview with your wife yeah. and just chance that maybe they'll allow you guys yeah. to all be interviewed together and then you asked about okay. your daughter um young girl yeah. going so, as long as she's quiet and not like fidgeting around and causing yeah. a stir like it's not not a problem um the officer okay. shouldn't have an okay. issue with that um okay. did i miss anything out in there yeah um, one more question i had which i didn't post um it, it, i should get my I changed my employers, so I need to get I-485J for my new employer, right? Since I'll be going along with them. Yeah, that would that would be most likely the best case scenario. Okay. Um, you can walk into your own interview with a 485J, and so I would say just get it signed by the company and keep it in your back pocket for whenever you need it. Um, okay. Uh, also, if you want to, I you think... can mail it to the government, but I okay. think by the time you mail it, they're not going to connect it with your interview in time. And so maybe you do both, mail it, and then bring a copy with you. But I would okay. probably say just sit on it, bring it with you to the interview when you're called on. Okay. So so their uh, medicals might have already been expired, so I don't need to get a new I-693, right? If they if the government needs it, they'll they'll give you an RFE. Okay. Uh, whether at the interview or just through the mail, and so if they if they want new medicals, they'll they'll give you plenty of opportunity to submit it. Okay. Uh, since my wife was working, should she also bring her W tools and all those things? Uh, yeah, she doesn't okay. need to, but I would say do it just just okay. to be uh, safe. 
Okay. Uh, also, one more question. Sorry. Um, I've been here almost 25 years, so I have a lot of H-1Ps in that period. Should I get the all the approval notice for all? For all I think that's <laughs> overboard. I think it's overboard. Um, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, it's, I mean, for me, and I think Rahul might even disagree, and any every other attorney might have spoken with might have a different opinion. For me, it's ultimately about have you maintained status at the time you filed your 485, right? Okay. And then everything after that doesn't necessarily matter, in my view. Okay. And so as long as you can show that you were, on the day you filed that 485, you were in status, for me, that's legally yeah. sufficient. Anything else is just, you know, backup nets upon backup nets upon backup nets of safety. Okay. Uh, but so, so if you want to find as many as you can, that's great. I don't think that the government's going to call you for them and ask for them. I've never seen that. For me, it's always about at the time you filed that day, you filed the 485, were you in status? Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, also, at one point in time, I used my EAD card to work for like an other employer. Uh, should I bring the W-2s for that also? Uh, like Yeah, sure. Uh, Okay. I don't think, again, I don't think the government will will call you for them, but okay. to uh, to avoid any unnecessary delays, just have them and you can always hand them across the desk to the officer. Okay. Yeah, that's it. Thank you so much. Mr. Renz, thank you. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for taking my question. Um, so hey, my hey. question is, uh, hey, uh, I, my question is, we have GC. Uh, and uh, some because of some family constraints. So my family is moving to um, India. So I want to maintain uh, the, the GC. So let's say by using a re-entry permit or by bringing them twice a year uh, from India to here. So anyway, I will be here. So when, I'm, mm -hmm. when I apply for citizenship uh, for myself after five years, uh, will my kids automatically become citizens or is there any constraints with that? Um, so no, your kids won't automatically become citizens. Um, that's a good question. Um, and so, when 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 will you be applying for citizenship? Um, I mean, see, uh, we got uh, citizenship. I mean, GC. Oh, uh, last, year. last year. We got the last mm -hmm. year, and uh, we'll be. Uh, they will be traveling to India next year. So that means almost two years they will be here. And uh, mm -hmm. I will be trying to maintain the GC by bringing them twice a year so that, uh, or by applying a re-entry permit. So when I'm applying, uh, I mean, after like, you know, five years, means after three years or two years, uh, when I'm applying for the my citizenship, so will they will be automatically be citizens? I mean, I'll bring them to here during the, when I'm applying. So is there any restrictions with that? You know, I'm not sure, Naveen. Honestly, this is kind of a newer question that I've I've had to address. Can I ask you a favor, and I'll get you an answer by the end of the day? Can you send me an email, uh, and then that way we can have a sidebar conversation? Um, I just don't want to give you an inquiry. I want to do a little bit of research. I think Rahul knows this question off the back of his back of his hand, and so I apologize for not having to. But send me an email, and I'll get you the answer today. My email is Ryan R Y A N at rnlawgroup.com send me a quick email Naveen and I'll get you the answer back you know as quickly as I can sure sure um, can you please repeat your uh, email sorry um, Ryan is it R <clears throat> it's Ryan R-Y-A-N okay at rnlawgroup.com 
Oh, I see. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Sure. Thanks, Sabine. Thank you. Uh, hi, Ryan. Uh, thanks for taking my call. So um, my question is like a twofold one. Uh, currently, I'm on my L1 visa and my, I'm impacted by the layoff at my company. So I already have spoken to the university and provided them the information to, to give me a I-20, but probably it's going to take a while. And I'm still working, so I don't know my last date of employment, but just in case... Uh, if you know, if they, if I, uh, if my start of college is, uh, you know, uh, greater than sixty days from my last date of employment, and I have an I twenty, uh, can I uh, continue to live here, or do I have to go back to India? And yeah, what is the process? No, my understanding is that as long as you file that change of status to to the F within your sixty day grace period, you're fine. Your program mm -hmm. might not start, which is which is typical. Uh, and so I would say, no, you, sh you should be fine there. Yeah. So if I get my I-20, I should be fine. And like the savings, mm -hmm. basically. Okay. Mm -hmm. And let's say if the, if the college, like currently they say they're going to provide me the uh, admission for, for, for spring, which is going to start on J January the 11th. So I should still be fine. But just in case if they defer mm -hmm. the admission, uh, do I still I think so. then? Uh, I would have like a longer time period, right? So I can still continue mm -hmm. to be, or do I have to go back to India? No, I, I would say so, that you're, you're fine to stay. Okay, as long as I get SEVIs and I file within 60 days, it should be good. Mm -hmm. And sorry, uh, too many questions, but one last thing. So filing is enough or should I also get like an approval or just filing is fine? Uh, for me, it's just the filing. Uh, the filing shows that you're, you're, you're uh, in the process of changing status. And then uh, as long as you, you know, as long as the time you're in status and you file for change of status, that pending period is called the period of authorized stay. Um, and so you're, you're, you should be fine there. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Ryan. Thanks for your time. Of course. Really thank appreciate you. it. Hey, Ryan. Uh, so I'm currently on uh, STEM OPT, uh, working as a full-time employee. But I also got another contracting job offer. So he says uh, he will pay me uh, like a, he says uh, uh, he's asking, can I do like 1099? So basically, I wanted to know, can I do it? Can I work on 1099? Yeah, as long as as long as um, it's at least 20 hours a week, that's not a problem. Mm -hmm. um, and then for 1099, it shouldn't be an issue either. Okay, so when I file taxes, so I just show them, uh, this is like, apart from my W-2, I just show them this 1099 from the Templar. Mm -hmm. And then just one last yeah. thing, the, the, whatever the second job, it should be related to your field of study. Uh, and yes. so as long yeah. as that's there, yeah, no worries. There is no restriction. I have to work only 40 hours, right? For like like H1, since I'm on OPT, I can do it. Yeah, as long, as long as it's at least at least 20 hours a week, that's, uh -huh. for me, That's that's all that's required. Okay. 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 Uh, thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks, Sammy. Or thanks, Lucky. Ramesh? So recently, uh, my wife has changed the status from H1B to H4 as a dependent on my uh, on my H1 application. So my company has submitted an, uh, a premium application for the amendment of my case along with her. 
So when we receive the notices, right, I-765 and I-539, we have seen a typo in the last name. We did uh, inform our uh, lawyers who have submitted. So they submitted a request for typographical error, but by the time we submitted the request, we already got the approval and we even received the EAD card. So my, my first question is, um, can she work on the approved card or, uh, or the uh, approval notice or is she legally valid to stay here? And the second thing is, how can we uh, get that resolved? Uh, is there any other way apart from typographical error request? Um, so first question, yeah, she's fine to work. That typo, that doesn't bother me at all. Um, mm. And then the, the second, um, what can be done? Uh, you could try. I mean, the typographical, if, it, if it's a true typographical error, the government should fix it. Mm -hmm. If it's maybe the attorney screwed up and didn't type the name wrong, well, it's not mm -hmm. the government's typographical error. Uh, and so I, you might yeah. re just yeah. refile it, the EAD. Um, if you really, yeah, if, think, it, uh, if that one letter makes a difference to you, but for me, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't cause any issue. You've done the biometric sign. They're going to be able to connect everyone in that whole web. I mean, be able and to if she was on the, she was on the H1B till now and all the names were accurate till now. And that's the only thing mm -hmm. changed. So they did submit a typographical error. We did review all the documents that they shared with us. So everything we verified and even they verified that whatever we sent was accurate. So they mm. did submit a typographical error request. But uh, generally, I'm not sure what is the turnaround time. And uh, currently, she needs to get a, D a driver's license. She cannot get a driver's license with the current name typo. Yeah, you know what I knew? Well, here's the thing. Um, mm. Is the EAD, is that a GC EAD? No, that's the H4 EAD I'm talking about. H4 EAD, okay. Um, is her H4, is the name spelled correctly there? No, H4 approval Not the as well as H4 EAD, both have the same typographical mm. error in the last name. Mm. Um, yeah, it's always a kick in the shins. Um, you can try just working with the DPS. Uh, sometimes hmm. one officer will just treat you completely <laughs> different to the next, right? And that's the nature yeah. of it. And so if you have to try it once or twice, do that. Mm -hmm. For me, it's about proving that you're lawfully present in the country, which mm -hmm. H4 approval has. Uh, you've got everything to show that it's been a typo and it's being fixed. Mm. For me, they should be granting the driver's license. Like, it's not up okay. to me, but for me, like I would say <laughs> that you're fine. Uh, unfortunately, you're, you're probably going to have to deal with a little bit of a headache right now. Okay. Generally, what is the turnaround time? Is it like two months or one month? Or is it... Two, month, two months months is always my uh, my reasonable expectation with USCIS. Okay. Uh, thanks, Ryan. Ash and I think we have time for one more. Ashok? Oh, hi, Rain. Uh, this hi, is Ashok. Ashok. So this question is for my wife. Uh, currently, she's under H-1B and uh, she's under actually short-term disability leave. Uh, so my question is, um, I think by end of uh, November, her short-term disability will be expiring and she will be going under long-term disability. So can my wife uh, still be under H-1B and continue her long-term disability? I honestly don't know, Ashok. Um, I gave a gentleman my email earlier. Can I give you my email? You send me, yeah. uh, send me, and I'll, I'll ping you back with an answer today. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry for not having answered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so if you just send me a send me a quick email, uh, I'll uh, I'll definitely have it answered for you ASAP. Okay, sure. Thank you. Sorry about that. All right, if we, if maybe we can get one more. Um, Shri, are you there? 
Right, I think we'll go ahead and close it for today. Uh, we'll be conducting a Zoom call again here shortly. Um, thanks for your time, everybody. Um, and we'll, we'll speak again soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.